In the ring with Eusebius Makaiser. Eusebius Makaiser. Sex work is work. It should be decriminalized. Analysis by Eusebius Makaiser. Read by Katlachomatlake. One of the most basic elements of patriarchy is a desire on the part of us men to own and control women's bodies. We want dominion over their bodies, as we do other property we own. We reduce women's bodies to things. This sets up a violent desire to control their bodies. Male superiority is intrinsic to the patriarchy. If we do not smash these poisonous norms and undo a massive range of unhealthy masculinities, we will never see a serious reduction in, let alone a complete elimination of, gender-based violence and femicide. I want to focus here on just one issue that we must doggedly return to. Not only do individual men move through the world with a desire to dominate women, even the state exhibits patriarchal norms. This isn't surprising. After all, the state consists of real human beings, and therefore, that which occurs in wider society is inevitably reproduced within the world of work, faith-based organizations, public spaces, and, yes, within the state itself. This is why we have many laws and policies that are objectionably blind to gender inequality and which reinforces the kind of domination I've just described above. It is mind-boggling that in 2022, sex work is not yet fully decriminalized. Neither the demand for nor the supply of transactional sex should be a crime. Criminalizing sex work is wrong, both as a matter of principle and, if you do not fancy moral clarity, because criminalization exposes sex workers to greater volumes of harm. It really isn't rocket science. She has a cluster of rights that includes rights to bodily integrity, privacy, and also reproductive rights. We can only lawfully limit any of these if the limitations serve a legitimate purpose, one that is reasonable and justifiable in an open and democratic society founded on dignity, freedom, and equality. Even then, we should restrict rights only to the extent necessary to achieve this greater legitimate interest. There is a general presumption in favor of more rather than less freedom, and we should always explore the least restrictive ways of achieving legitimate state interests so that we never willy-nilly undercut any citizen or group's fundamental rights. So, is the criminalization of sex work by the lights of this nexus between ethics and constitutional law justified? No. To what end is sex work criminalized? If we put self-shame aside, that is, shame attached to an admission of societal sloppiness, we must admit that we found sex work to be criminalized already when we arrived in democratic South Africa and left it in place for absolutely no good reason. Criminalization has not made women in the industry safe. So any pretense that this is about the best interests of women is dishonest. Precisely because of criminalization, a woman in the industry living in the shadows, equally scared of the potentially violent client as she is of an abusive cop that may blackmail her or even sexually assault her. She cannot report such violence without disclosing being a criminal herself in the eye of the law, but our indifferences to the criminalization of sex work is also driven by other factors. It is not just sheer laziness to change dated statuses. Many of us hold views handed down to us by our parents or teachers or faith-based communities. We often do not critically examine our received moral beliefs. We simply take them as axiomatic truths, even if, secretly, we often behave very differently in private spaces 
compared to the views we express publicly. We think bodies are so special that they cannot be the site of transaction. But why not? There are several problems here, but I'll restrict myself to point out just three. First, I can, and we all do so in many non-sexual contexts, use my body as a means to an end, and simultaneously have deep self-love and see my body as an important part of my personal identity even. It is sheer balderdash to assert that if I use my body transactionally once or even twice a day or per week, that I will not be able to relate to my body in more familiar personal and non-sexual ways. Just as a janitor cleans up your mess in a public bathroom, but returns home to perform the roles of dad, hubby, neighbor, son, life of the party, etc., so too can and do sex workers have irreducibly complex and multiple relationships with their own bodies. Second, and I've alluded to this already, there is a lot of work that we do not problematize, let alone criminalize, that also involve transacting our bodies. I would hate to know who feels more aches and pains, physical and psychic, between a seasonal farm worker on a wine farm in Cape Town or a sex worker responding to a client who saw her advert online. Obviously, we can play example table tennis. That is not necessary to deliver my immediate point. Many workers are exploited, but that exploitation is to be nipped in the bud by ensuring that all vulnerable workers have access to justice when they need it. It is not the forms of work that must be put on trial. Perpetrators of violence must be put on trial. We conveniently change the focus away from a broken criminal justice system by needlessly moralizing about the career or work choices some women make. Third, our biggest dishonesty in public debates about sex work is a failure to focus on the sheer squeamishness some of us have at the very thought of sex being commodified. Again, I ask, why not? For one thing, if I am not harming you, why are you imposing your received cultural or religious tropes and beliefs on me, following me inside my home even, to dictate what I should and should not do privately? You may not be able to distinguish transactional sex from sex within a romantic or committed relationship. That is fine. But your intuition cannot be the basis for a restrictive public policy on sex work in a liberal constitutional democracy. Keep your personal beliefs about sex to yourself and embrace the value pluralism that is a feature of our democratic architecture. At any rate, there are very few relationships that do not have transactional features. Opposition to sex work is so specific that we may miss it. In reality, people who oppose the decriminalization of sex work are not against the idea of transactional sex. After all, there are millions of people in relationships, including marriages, where there is massive inequality in terms of financial power, social status, etc. We negotiate our way through and within these relationships, aiming silently at some kind of net benefit to remain. Many of us do not think we must choose between genuine love in our relationships and transactional moments that do and will occur from time to time, including, yes, sex also. It is a strained view of relationships to imagine that we either have perfect power parity and unconstrained autonomy, or we are sex slaves at the mercy of the partner with the biggest bank balance. Those are false and exaggerated choices. But then, why are some people anti-sex work if they too are in transactional relationships. Because, as comical as this will now sound, many people are simply against cash as the visible medium of transaction and against the idea of sex with a random stranger who called me just now or who picked me up on a corner in Ilovo in Johannesburg. Reread that. I genuinely, 
In many years of debating this matter with friends, politicians and fellow philosophy students invariably end up in a position where the big issues are A. Money and B. Sex with a stranger. But why should these features of sex work be relevant to deciding whether or not it should be decriminalized? I know a few married men who felt, they say, pressured to get married to a woman but who are either gay or bisexual. In one such case, the guy disclosed all of this to his would-be wife before they got married. She consented, looking forward to a lavish lifestyle and being mother to the children they would have. This was and still is a patently practical arrangement with compensation for her. Why is the idea of taking cash out of my wallet to pay a sex worker objectionable, but it is not egregious to be in a loveless marriage in which I pay for holiday trips, furniture, shopping sprees, etc. We put way too much emphasis on actual paper money as such. We shouldn't. It is simply a mode of transacting. Similarly, most women who are victims of gender-based violence and femicide are harmed by their intimate partners. Many die with a restraining order on their person. We cannot romanticize relationships with people who we are acquainted with as if they are safer, healthier and more emotionally intimate spaces and connections than a fleeting one hour or two hours or an overnight trip to a client's house. Here too, we are simply parroting, uncritically, views influenced by culture and religion. We must check our hypocrisy. It isn't egregious for me to flirt with someone at a club and, if they agree, for us to go home together and have a one-night stand. Yet the moment I pay you for the one-night stand, the moral police have a lot to say. But if I don't give you hot cash, but I do pay for us club hopping and drinking on my tab and then go home, fewer, if any, moral quandaries seem to arise. That makes no sense. Why does paper money make such a decisive difference to the moral calculus? Finally, all the paternalistic arguments are wrong-headed too. Practically speaking, if we want sex workers to be less susceptible to rape and murder, we must not deem them to be criminals. If my work is criminalized, why would I go to a police station, tell them I'm involved in illegal trade, and ask for protection anyway, and lay a charge? This would be like reporting my boyfriend for assaulting me in a country in which my homosexuality is a crime. I cannot risk asserting my rights if I can get into trouble by disclosing the full set of facts about the circumstances under which I was harmed. If you decriminalize sex work, we can begin the harder work of fully restoring the dignity of sex workers and getting the criminal justice system to handle cases involving sex workers differently. Sex workers will always be vulnerable for as long as the state regards sex work as a moral hazard. This must change immediately. None of this means that other organized crime, such as human trafficking, should be ignored. But there is a difference between sex work undertaken by women who choose such work as a source of income and human trafficking, which is unethical and criminal. It is wrong for the moral police to conflate these battles in their desperate attempt to prevent women from deciding for themselves what to do with their bodies. The state has a duty to keep all citizens, including sex workers, safe. You cannot evade that duty by criminalizing work that can lead to exploitation. To do that is to concede that you either lack the political will or the technical capacity to ensure South Africa is a safe space for all women, including sex workers. Sex work should have been decriminalized a long time ago. Government must get on with it already.